Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Curzon Film Podcast. I'm Jake Cunningham and with me this week to talk about Francis Lee's God's Own Country is Irena Musumeci. Hello. And, and Ryan Hewitt. Hello. <laughs> A nice, clean, rehearsed introduction. <laughs> um, okay, so what have we been watching this week? Uh, this week I watched Life by Daniel Espinosa, the film starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Ryan Reynolds and Rebecca Ferguson. That is quite an unashamed uh, riff on Alien and and lots of other things. It's a really very derivative film, but it's actually pretty fun. It's actually really fun. And although there is a kind of a moment in there when you get a little bit ambivalent about whether you want to continue, because you can see, right, okay, we've got a very cunning, lethal life force and we know that we're going to spend the next half of this film with people trying to blast it into space and things like that. By the end, the end is marvellous, and it absolutely earns any kind of obvious play-by-play stuff from before. It just to- it all pays off with that ending, which is a ma- I can't go near it because it's a huge spoiler. Yeah, that's it, really. But it's great. You say that because I absolutely hated that ending. <laughs> you hated the ending. Yeah, oh, the ending is brilliant. Yeah, I <laughs> it was so such an easy way out, Did and it was so signposted. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's not completely unexpected, yeah. but I like that they, I like that they went there. I like that they did it though, mm. and I like. I try not to not to give anything away. And a film with such big stars, I think there was a certain daring in it. Yeah, in, in that respect, you don't get many films that are in such close quarters that have really huge Hollywood names. Yeah, actually, just talking to each other in. Yeah. in that situation much anymore. It's always got to be like big sprawling landscapes and cities and jumping all over the place and seeing them in that restriction was quite nice. I agree, yeah. And and seeing a cast of a kind of sort of like equal players as well. They're all, well, relatively A-list, maybe slightly B-list for a few of them. But there's not too much battle between a lead. It's very apart from like people getting picked off in certain orders, but even that's done with a hierarchy based on who they are and what their star status is. It's quite nice yeah, to see them a, not... There's a nice twist on that about who you might expect yeah, to last and yeah. who doesn't. And um, 
the opening is really good as well, where you've got this it's faked one take like through the space station yeah. outside and back in again. And that's really neatly done. Yeah. As you can tell, I haven't actually seen this film. <laughs> but uh, yeah, divisive films are my favourite thing. Yeah. All <laughs> that ending. You need yeah. to get your new taste Whereas, that ending. I, I watched something that I think is going to be completely undivisive in that it's brilliant, widely entertaining, appealing to a wide range of people. And it's... Um, I, I was lucky enough to get an early industry preview of Borg versus McEnroe, which is going to be coming to our cinemas 22nd of September. And it's... Um, it's fantastic. It's a, a combination of a great sports drama that does exactly all of the steps that you need from it. It gives you, you know, the struggle of a sportsman. It gives you the cheer at the end. And it really made me forget the outcome of the eventual final battle between the two heroes, you know. Um, it also is a, an excellent character study of the both of them. And um, I think quite interestingly, it's quite evenly balanced in that you you basically root for both of them and you almost wish tennis wasn't as harsh a sport, that there doesn't have to be one winner at the end. Uh, plus, I think it's a, it's a really intense uh, and very interesting psychological um, analysis of what happens in the mind of a tennis player, which is a very, very peculiar kind of madness uh, or, you know, something verging on a, on a kind of obsessive mental illness. It's something that Andre Agassi really goes into in his amazing uh, autobiography, Open. Uh, and it's really about the kind of dedication and the loneliness of a tennis player. And you, you get this clash between Borg, who is clearly, you know, pitted as ice. He's the ice king of the tennis pitch. He's totally cool. He's in charge of his emotions all the time. He's almost virgin on having no emotions against McEnroe, played absolutely superbly by Sheila both. Uh, in a, an incredible piece of casting, um, who is hot-headed, angry, uh, full of expletives. He's like a volcano. He's on fire all the time. You don't know what he's going to do next. And so this big clash of like ice and fire to rival yeah. Game of Thrones mm. and no zombies in sight. Great. Um, so we've got to talk about uh, God's Own Country uh, this week. So we've got, we've got Francis Lee and uh, Alex Sikoriani, uh, who plays uh, Georgi in the film, to uh, come and chat with us in a bit. Um, so we'll play that for you. But to, let's uh, have a quick chat and talk about what, what, what God's Own Country is about. So God's Own Country uh, is a coming-of-age story. Uh, it's the story of a young farmer called Johnny, who lives in a farm in Yorkshire. Uh, he lives with his dad and his nan. Um, there's a kind of question mark as to what happened to his mother and whether there was anyone else in the family. And um, he's kind of a bit out of control, like most teenagers who are trying to figure out who they are and what they want from life. Um, I think it's probably the first film I've ever seen that sounds with the start of someone being violently sick. Yeah. Uh, because Johnny drinks a lot and it's kind of his favourite pastime. When he's not working on the farm, he goes out to look pub gets very drunk and you get a sense there is something that's not um very settled about him and um the story kind of kicks off when it's basically lambing season and uh dad is unwell cannot help on the farm so they call in a worker who happens to come from romania he is the only person who responded to um an advert for a farmhand uh and um he comes in um his name is Giorgio. And uh, he's meant to stay there for a week. And essentially the encounter with him changes Johnny's life pretty much. Uh, it's a love story. It's a very beautiful uh, rural 
love story uh, in that landscape plays a very, very important part, uh, as well as nature. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very intense and, and um, extraordinary piece of work, actually, I would say. It's by a debut filmmaker called Francis Lee. Very, very impressive and assured in his first feature. Mm. Great. So um, let's talk to Francis Lee and uh, Alex Akorianu, who plays Gyorga in the film. Uh, so we're delighted to uh, welcome Francis Lee and Alex Akarianyu from uh, God's Own Country onto the Curzon Film Podcast this week. Hello, thank Hello. you. Hello. Really, really <laughs> pleased to be here. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, so from uh, from very early on in the film, we can tell that this is a it's a very personal film. Uh, there's inspiration from your own experiences here, Francis. Uh, but it's also a story of what might have been for yourself as well, is that right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's really not autobiographical, um, apart from the landscape. The, the kind of, the way in which the central character reacts to the landscape and has to learn to love it and accept it feels very autobiographical. Um, Johnny isn't me, no, nobody in the film is, is an extension of me really and the family really aren't mine. I have to say that because I think my family would be really upset if they thought I was representing them with these characters. And um, there's, a, there's a character who comes back from her reading week at university and meets Johnny. And uh, did you find, so you, you yourself, you left Yorkshire, went to college. When you returned, uh, whether that was on holiday or afterwards, did you find that your vision of Yorkshire as a county had changed? Yeah, yeah, no, to totally. It was a, it was a really odd experience because I, I moved to London to go to college when I was 20 and came here and for the first term, or for quite a long time, didn't feel to fit in in London. I didn't feel that, you know, it felt like a natural home or that I had a natural affinity with, with, with the urban landscape. And then I'd go home and I felt like I'd changed and um, my perception of Yorkshire uh, was different. And so I, I ended up feeling like I didn't really have a home at that point. I felt like really caught between two stools. Mm. And um, Alec, for yourself, I suppose as a, as a portrait of England, Yorkshire's quite unique. It's, 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 what was your first perspective of as Yorkshire compared to the rest of the country as well? Well, to be honest, I didn't know what to expect. That was uh, my first time in Yorkshire. So um, um, it was supposed to be spring. I mean, we started to film in spring and I was expecting to be spring and because I'm used to Romanian spring when the weather start to get to get warmer and uh, the nature is greener and but that was not the case at all in Yorkshire because uh, yeah it was uh, we had four seasons in one day it was uh, hailing and snowing and storming and uh, sunshine sunshine for yeah, five minutes and then the sunshine <laughs> and then all over again yeah it was pretty intense and it, but and it was rough and muddy and cold and wet but uh, that of, of course that helped us a lot because uh, the nature and the landscape as Francis said is a uh, has a big role in this film okay and Francis you kind of gave the guys a bit of a baptism of, baptism of fire <laughs> into uh, Yorkshire farming life before the cameras look well before the cameras started rolling yeah no absolutely you know for, for me I wanted this film to be totally authentic and truthful. I always knew I never wanted a stunt double or a hand double um, because I love being immersed myself in stories and, and watching cinema and anything that can pull me out of that I, I have difficulty with. So I knew I wanted the boys to do all the detailed farming work. 
So for two weeks, I sent them off to work on farms and they would do very long shifts. They would start six in the morning and they would work till six, seven at night. And they did everything. They learned how to birth lambs. Um, they learned how to uh, look after the animals, dry stone wall. Alec learned how to make cheese because Georgi makes cheese in the, in the movie. And, and they became incredibly proficient at handling the animals and incredibly skilled at, at doing the farming work. But it also what happened was that landscape got into their bones. They got cold, they got wet, they got miserable. They realised how hard it was and that really affected their characters physically as well as emotionally. So, so it, it worked. Or, I know it was hard for the boys, but it worked so well for the, the truth of the film. Mm. And I suppose, Alec, you're thankful for those nice two weeks of freezing animal <laughs> delivery and cheese making. Well, I am thankful because they paid off in the end. <laughs> but it was it was so strange those two weeks because I was living in a hotel and every night I went to the hotel I was smelling like manure <laughs> and it was and everybody was looking at me what is he doing here yeah uh, but uh, of course it helped us a lot with the physicality of the characters and uh, it uh, helped us when we filmed it because we uh, we had to really know how to control the animals because they tend to be unpredictable and uh, it was very helpful to be in control on set and to really know what we have to do on when we film yeah and Francis you mentioned um, about not wanting uh, body doubles but specifically hand doubles and that's something that I really picked up on on the film is that there's this real focus on hands I, I mean personally I'm obsessed by hands it's the, it's probably the first thing I notice about people and how they use their hands um, in fact, when, when I first met Josh O'Connor, who plays Johnny so brilliantly, um, he, I was mesmerised by his hands because he's got these huge meat plate hands um, that, that work so well for the character and for the world as well. I, I, it, this isn't a world where people verbally communicate, really. Um, and so I wanted to create a world where, where you know, touch, feel... Was, was how they communicated and how that changes as they change as characters. Um, and that felt very emotional to me. There felt to be a, a, a strong emotional truth with, with, with that. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, just the, there's moments of connection through fingers touching each other that are so powerful in this film in particular. Great. And um, there's actually, there's a few sounds that I picked up on, whether there's um, the weather, the wind, uh, belts. There's a moment where uh, Alec, you open a biscuit packet, a, a bourbon, and those moments are, are amazing to watch. They feel so real, but it seems like a, a mad thing to make feel real. But it, it felt like yeah, it's it's sound. A sound is is incredibly important to me. It's it's as important as the visuals, and sometimes more so. Um, I have incredibly sensitive hearing and this sound design of the film was very painstakingly crafted and orchestrated to make it as immersive as possible. Um, you know, I sent, I sent my brilliant um, sound designer off up to Yorkshire for, for long periods of time and Joss recorded hours and hours and hours of atmospheres. So, we had, so when I went into the edit I had, you know, hundreds of different wind sounds to build to choose from, to try and add to the emotion or to the characters. Um, all the birds are very specifically chosen and placed for their meaning or their significance, and all the other birds had to be taken out of the sound design. Um, you know, it was very detailed and precise just, just to add more emotion, 
uh, more depth, more layering, and and um, yeah, I, I just feel sound is is an incredible tool for mm. storytelling. And you, you use the sound to really capture this portrait of uh, of Yorkshire so well. But what I thought was really interesting is Yorkshire is, is a stunningly beautiful place, and it would be so easy to just go out and do landscapes all the time. But mm. we don't really get a big, wide, more landscape. You get it, one. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> that then feels momentous. Mm, yeah. It, it, so, again, it was about representing this world as I saw it. And, um, and I'd seen lots of films shot in Yorkshire um, that all did what you say. They were big, wide, expansive landscape shots. And I, and I never experienced it like that. I didn't go out into the countryside in that sense and consume it in that way. To me, the landscape was always affecting me. So I wanted to keep the camera very tight and see the landscape's effect on the characters. So you see the mud, you know, you see the mud under their fingernails or the, the mud they're walking through or the wind, you know, in their hair or their faces. And, and, and I knew I didn't want to see this landscape until we, as a viewer, experience it through Johnny's eyes for mm. the first time, as it were. Yeah. And um, Johnny, uh, I suppose the film is a man of few words. And when he does speak, it's uh, at times pretty idiomatic as well. Um, how much of that dialogue and dialect was scripted? And because there's there's moments in there that all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boringly, I'm really precise <laughs> and controlling. So they, the boys, well, no, none of the actors, but specifically the boys, were not allowed to improvise dialogue at all. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, 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 I wanted them to say the words as written, um, and the script actually is incredibly detailed. So everything you see on screen was in the script, um, and I think that's just because. Uh, you know, I, I, I think because there are such few words in the film, what words there are are really important. They're important that they're right. Um, and, and that's why I was very precise about them. And the only thing that happened in the edit, really, um, was we'd got rid of more of the lines. So we started off with not many lines, and then we got rid of more in the edit because the boys were, were communicating so incredibly well without the language. So... Alec, when you're reading the script, for those scenes that do go on silently, what kind of uh, direction are you getting from the script? And then what are you getting from Francis on set? As Francis said, it, I mean, for me, it was, I think, the most detailed script that I've ever read. And every single glimpse and gesture and look and touch, it was written in the script. And even the, uh, the, scene that, the scenes that have no dialogue, they were very, very explicit and very detailed in the script. So uh, that really got you a sense of how these characters work and uh, how do they connect and uh, how important the body language, how important the body language is. And uh, yeah, I mean, everything was there. And... Yeah, it was so helpful to create a, a bigger picture of the of what's happening in the in the story. And was there any points that you struggled with the Yorkshire dialect? Well, I think for me it was helpful that I read the script <laughs> before because, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it was helpful that most of the lines were all of the lines were written, so I could really understand what they're saying. But. Uh, uh, 
uh, even if I'm in a bap and the brew, you can understand where a what I like a bap and the brew. <laughs> <laughs> you can understand what's that about. I mean, even if you're not from Yorkshire, you can be intuitive about it, and you can understand it. It's not that far from regular English, I think. A yeah. sandwich and a cup of tea. <laughs> sandwich and a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, so your character, Kyorge, uh, uh, he kind of isolates himself from his country by leaving, and Johnny is alienated himself through his own isolation in Yorkshire. So, in a way, both characters, they've taken wildly different paths in their choices, but they're ultimately two sides of the same coin as well. Mm, yeah, I think so. It was, it was really important that these two characters were like mirrors, I guess, and that they had, in a sense, a similar background and a similar experience but had responded very differently to that um, and then it was about you know how were, how were they going to make how were they going to make this work if it was going to work mm. yeah um, and from your own experiences uh, Alec I don't know whether like, was there anything that you could see as a touchstone for research for the well yes yes in fact I did in fact I did yeah I I mean when we we, when we started working on the character that happened I think two months before we started shooting two or three months and uh, uh, I did a Skype with Francis and he started to ask me about a lot of things about the character about his family about uh, his village, about his other relationships, studies, friends, and how did he end up in England? And I did my research in in Romania, and uh, of course I talked to some people that came to to the UK to work and uh, the experience that the, the experiences that they have been through, and uh, I kind of understood why Georgi wanted to be by his own and working in the countryside because that is the only environment that he can relate to and he really uh, uh, can attach to um, because most of the Romanian of the Romanians that are coming to England to work they're working constructions they stay 10 people in one uh, bedroom apartment and the uh, the conditions are not so good and I can understand why Georgi tries to make it on his own mm. there's a there's a real difference in the way that both Johnny and Georgi approach space mm-hmm. in that he Johnny feels He's got all of this land around him and he just feels like he's completely imprisoned by it. Whereas, as any, well, for me, as a, if, as a tourist, if I went up to Yorkshire, I would do, do as you did in one scene where you run to the top of a hill and you look <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Again, it was about looking at the experience of, of what that landscape can mean. You know, yes, in one sense, it can it is incredibly beautiful and dramatic, but in another sense, it's... It's brutal and isolating and difficult, um, and that was that was what was so interesting. I think about these two characters that that you were just talking about that they have very different viewpoints, but by coming together in a sense, they kind of become a a, a whole thing, mm. as it were. Um, and so when when I think of not that there are a wealth of them, but great romantic sheep farmers. Uh, <laughs> name I, them. I, I, well, I can name my, my one is, is Gabriel Oak. Okay, yeah. From the Madden crowd. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if he had any influence here. No. So, none at all. 
<laughs> no, I, look, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, I don't really read, so I'd never read the novel. And I... Have I seen the film? I don't think I have. I might have seen the newer version. Yeah. But I don't remember it. Um, but no, no, because... I, no, it, it, this, this uh, experience, I think, uh, or Georgi and Johnny were very much about looking at people from a very personal, emotional point of view. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that famous sheep farmer wasn't an influence. <laughs> um, well, that, that, that Madden crowd last, or two years ago maybe, that was Thomas Vinterberg of uh, Dogma, who you almost took a Dogma approach to costume and props for this as well, didn't you? I mean, I don't fully understand what that term means. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not a cinephile and, um, and I never went to film school or, you know, learned how to direct or write or anything, but I knew that I, as again, wanted this story to be totally rooted within that the geography of the world and so my costume designer Sean Jenkins um, had had I in, insisted that she could only buy the costumes for the family who live on the farm in the shops they actually geographically had access to which in real terms meant two shops in Keithley um, you know I, I, I'm a big fan of rules I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Because I think with rules, that you, you, if you limit yourself, it pushes you creatively. So every department had rules, and, and we stuck to them. I think you'd enjoy dogma. Though. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm Ten gonna... rules to, to live by. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, well, Francis, Alec, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, God's Own Country uh, focuses on these these sheep farmers, uh, Johnny and Gilgi. So it made me think um, about kind of other film sheep farmers and, and sheep <laughs> which I, I do I do touch on in the interview that I mentioned Gabriel Gabriel Oak from Far From the Madden Crowd who I was surprised to find out was not a influence on this film when particularly looking at Matthias Schoenarts in Thomas Vinterberg's recent Far From the Madden Crowd um, and Georgi here I, I thought that's there's got to be something there but apparently not it's um it's amazing and like, I think the the niche of sheep in film we thought might be quite small and we might not have a lot to talk about but turns out there's there's a lot of sheep on there there's a, sheep yeah. on film. There's a subculture there's yeah. a, a kind of fandom of sheep <laughs> and goats actually in film <laughs> but the impression you get from films is that sheep farmers are incredibly handsome because uh, <laughs> you know between Matthias Schoenerts 
Alec is, uh, can we refer to him as gorgeous Giorgio? <laughs> I mean, uh, he's... Quite happy. He's pretty, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a uh, nice piece of objectification, <laughs> me, I'm afraid. Um, and uh, yeah, one of my favorite farmers in film is Sam Shepard in Days of Heaven. Uh, absolutely handsome. And uh, um, he's uh, he puts in this terrific performance as his character, who in another film would be considered underwritten. Uh, but here, he absolutely gets the kind of performance style that Terence Malick really requires from his actors to kind of fill in what well, may be gaps in dialogue or perhaps, you know, just kind of imagining voiceovers and all that kind of work with an incredible sort of facial um, performance, but also a very, very intense presence. And uh, yeah, the late, great Sam Shepard really shows in this film that he's a terrific actor as well as an incredible writer and author of all of the great plays that we are familiar with. Um, just as a kind of aside, we are celebrating uh, the life of Sam Shepard with a very special screening of The Right Stuff in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, it's a very rare film, very rare to get to see it, particularly as we'll be screening it in 35mm, so a nice analogue print. And uh, it's the film that Sam Shepard was nominated for an Oscar for, and he plays one of the... Um, one member of a large team of guys who were essentially involved in the American side of the space race. The film takes place over 15 years and uh, his character is quite extraordinary, uh, kind of poised between a very, very tender and vulnerable performance and some extreme testosterone. Uh, it's really something to behold. But anyway, let's go back to farms with <laughs> spaceships and space stations to another conversation. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, because there's there's a really good um, kind of like a few uh, lamb rearing moments here and um, like shearing. And I was recently watching uh, I Love Dick, the uh, on the, the TV series, yeah, yes. the new series. Um, and Andrew Andrew Arnold has directed a few episodes of it. And there's a particular moment where Kevin Bacon walks down the street with his top off just in like the cowboy belt and denim jeans <laughs> just holding a lamb and uh, it's such a great shot yeah like, when you think of gabriel oak in far from the madding crowd bringing a gift of a lamb just going oh, i've bought you a lamb <laughs> and women were instantly it, pregnant yeah. but like at that point the, the rest of the in any real world Far From Madden Crowd would just stop there because if, <laughs> if Gabriel Oak gives you a lamb you should say yes and then like that's the end <laughs> this can't be Tom I don't yeah. need anyone else I don't need Weedy Tom Sturridge or Michael Sheen <laughs> oh I don't know I quite like Michael Sheen I think he's misunderstood in that film but you know Michael Sheen if Michael Sheen brought me a lamb then my life would be over right yeah. at that point <laughs> Uh, my favourite uh, on-screen farmer is a slightly more farcical entry, I suppose. He's um, Wash Hogwallop from the <laughs> Coen Brothers, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And played by Frank Collison, who was just seen in the new series of Twin Peaks, incidentally. And many people will know him from Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, which also includes farms. But Wash Hogwallop, is, uh, he's a horse farmer, not a lamb farmer. And he looks after his son because Mrs. Hogswallop, as he put it, up and R-U-N-N-O-F-T, leaving him to look after the son and raise his son. And then uh, the three bandits uh, go to his farm and try and get their shackles knocked off. Uh, Wash Hogswallop is amazing. He's the, an absolute joke of a character. He's Until the Simpsons go live action, he's the closest we'll ever get to a human rendition of Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel. <laughs> uh, it's perfect. He just ludicrous 
And um, so in the, in the pantheon of great farmers, uh, where do we think Johnny and Georgie stand? Well, they're certainly the, the most romantic of a, of a farming duo, I think. Um, it's a really, a really touching relationship that they have. It feels very, very sincere and very tender. And it's, uh, it's, it's a straight-up romance, really. I mean, it, it's, what's is interesting about this film and what I found particularly interesting is that while it might be pitched in a way that suggests that it is about a relationship between two men, a sexual romantic relationship between two men, which of course it is, it doesn't, it almost doesn't really treat it that way. It doesn't, it's not a coming out story. It's not uh, a, a story of sexual awakening or realizing that you are, a, that is how you're attracted, who you're attracted mm -hmm. to. It treats them just as two people who yeah. happen to both be men and they happen to fall in love with each other. There's not, a, there's not a humongous amount of prejudice in the film mm. for yeah. sexuality. And, and if anything, it comes when it does appear, it's almost of their own creation as well. Yeah. 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 In, in kind of removing societal prejudice, I think the film is making a really, really strong political point. And it's one of those beautiful, kind of the personalist political statements that essentially there are no obstacles to their love and their relationship but themselves and what they decide to put into play to give to each other or to remove from each other at times. And I think that's really important. It just means that love is just about the two people involved. It doesn't have to be about everyone else and what they think. Yeah. And so it's um, it's a really strong statement, I think, to make at this time. And in this, it reminded me a lot of um, Andrew Haig's Weekend in that there's this great focus on just these two characters and their intimacy and how they develop a relationship really out of knowing each other. And there's a lot of unspoken stuff about where they have come from and how they may have got to this place uh, in the way they, for example, own the epithets that they may have been called in their uh, youth uh, or the experiences they might have had until this point. And really just the moment when they give themselves over to this relationship, which is, is not uh, is not there from the off. I mean, it's, uh, it's not given that they'll get on because their initial encounter is quite confrontational, well, that's, particularly. That's traditional romance. Yeah. Yeah, well. yeah. Like, oh, they're not going to get on. <laughs> I think they might. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're kind of, they're sussing each other out in an extremely macho way. Yes. Real, like, needling each other and pushing each other. And yeah, like you say, it's really about accepting intimacy from the other. That's the obstacle, isn't mm -hmm. it? It's particularly from Johnny. Georgi seems considerably more comfortable with who he is and how he feels well, about I, things. I almost felt like Georgi was was a another portrait of Johnny, but maybe five years in the future, for instance, in that yeah. and that he has worked and he has kind of like accepted himself for who he is and like what he likes doing and what he's good at. And I think he's trying, he's almost, he's educating Johnny in mm. a way as well. There's a great sense of um, mutual education you know, in terms of emotional intelligence, but also in that kind of really beautiful setting up of nature versus nurture kind of thing. You know, by nature, you may be someone who is confrontational and angry and furious about whatever has happened to you. But then the experience of love, the experience of a relationship, does change things and particularly for Johnny that's that's the biggest journey that he kind of embarks on mm. I, I have a feeling that perhaps Giorgio starts from a slightly different place in life the way he talks about his family particularly his mother quite interestingly she's kind of the only family member that he re, um, refers to and he has a picture of her that he puts up in his caravan 
And um, she seems to be connected with this idea of home and she taught him English. She's an English Mm -hmm. language teacher and his English is extraordinary. (laughs) The fact that he can understand this very, very thick Yorkshire accent and certain, you know, kind of... of Yeah, (laughs) I I sometimes struggle with this (laughs) myself. So it's, it's pretty brilliant and it seems to be a kind of you know, closeness with his mother, whereas Johnny's mother, um, we hear that she's left the family at some point and we don't quite know why. Uh, We are really left to make up that backstory if we want to, but in a sense, we don't even need to hear it. And um, there there is perhaps a kind of simpler way of understanding Johnny's character as someone who's really in need of kind of gentle mothering and the kind of care that you get from a lover who is dedicated, but also earlier in life from a parent, particularly a mother. When the father, you know, the father is a very interesting character too, I think, in that he represents a certain kind of masculinity, Mm. which is very much entrenched in certain old ways. But at the same time, we are never given that generational conflict. And I think that's really a choice and it's important. The generational conflict happens in the way they decide to carry on the farm work and Johnny taking ownership of it. It's not a thing like, Dad, I'm gay and Mm. we're going to have a big fight about it. So it's it's very beautiful, really, to to do that and to kind of remove that from the picture and make sure that it's really about personality rather than about some issue. Yeah, and it, there's there's not really a lot entrenched in the past that is where we're given the exact information about. Like it, it's all up for interpretation. There's only real one instance, which is where Johnny goes to the pub and someone that he was friends with who has gone to university has come back from a reading week mm-hmm. and they've shared a cigarette outside. And that moment, it's quite clear what I think John, a lot of what Johnny's issues boil down to is the fact that he has had to stay. Sense of obligation, yeah. That's placed on him. A lot, his father pushes it on him mm. for the most part. He needs him to... You know, a farm is something that has, has very few people tend to work on farms and in order to make them efficient, you need to really work all the time and that's clearly a burden for Johnny and something that he's reluctant to do, but... What's really interesting for me is that I think that he accepts this challenge. It's not like he wants to go off to university and do something else with his life. That I think the farming career, if, if it's, uh, you know, something like that, it, it has to be a calling. It's something yeah. that I think it's a really tough choice, particularly today for a young man to decide to to go and you know stick with the generation's work well and in years decades before perhaps even in the time of his dad the farm work was community work Mm. and there would have been a lot more people and in the little village that he seems to be in would have been connected to the farm in some way shape or form yeah and it that has effectively all been outsourced and as like things are now being made across the world and ending up in supermarkets and that has been dispersed that idea of a rural farm community. Yeah, this yeah. farm feels incredibly isolated, doesn't it? And even to your point about them only getting one call from putting out a job looking for help at hand, there's only one person who comes back to them. They are on their own. It's it's a father who can't do half of the work. It's one son who has to bear the brunt of all of the work. And which very few people to come and help. Yeah, which also brings me to the other... Uh, great understated political uh, issue in this film in that to me it's it's a, it's one of the great cases for Remain. <laughs> it's a, a great uh, um, you know it's a film that really celebrates the idea of 
bringing someone in from abroad who has a different way of doing things, who can really bring a different knowledge and a different approach uh, in a way that is enlightening and generally benefiting both parties in the encounter. So it's almost like, uh, you know, what Erasmus did for generations and generations of students in that, you know, it took you to Europe and to experience other cultures. Um, this kind of uh, work experience for a Romanian farmer who comes in to help this British farm really says there is value, there's great, uh, there, there is great uh, wealth to be yeah. derived from this kind of thing. And so it's, it's, it's not uh, hammered in, you know, it's not a film that feels the need to kind of really press this point, but it's very significant that there is one person who answers this call and it's a person who comes in from abroad. And in a way, what's implied is... If we close up ourselves to this, we end up alone and we cannot actually do the work that's going to sustain mm. us. So it's it's very beautifully put. I mean, I know that I do go looking for kind of political resonances and contemporary resonances, but I think particularly where farming culture is concerned, there there is a great um, there is a great message to be taken from this film. I also want to say something else about community in that you really do see that kind of community and communal work and the joy of the experience of farming. As, as communal labor in the credits of the film, which are a really significant sequence and very, very beautiful. This sort of brings in all this kind of golden color and um, the, the credits are kind of, um, the, it's footage from presumably past harvests mm. in the local area, but it's very striking how the color palette changes, mm. how there is this kind of almost um, golden age uh, feel about it. And it's, actually the only place in the film where you see a lot of women together. The film has two female characters who never meet, they never speak to each other. We are very far from passing the Bechdel test here, but that's, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of gimmicky, it's not what we're here for. But at the same time, this, this kind of lack of female, uh, female presence was very striking to me. It's a, it's a film that's very economical with its characters. There are essentially only four speaking characters and very few locations as well. And in being so minimal, it really focuses in on the story. But opening it up in that way at the end really does connect it to something for me. And so I, I really enjoy that credit sequence. I really enjoy the song that plays on that credit sequence as well, which is a song by Patrick Wolf called The Days, mm. which is very much about the past mm. and mm. the future. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting, you, you point out the like seeing life and colour in those images and the credits because it's not really until post a very intense moment between Johnny and Guri that we actually actually see a, a warmer colour palette in the mm. film. It's it's very much a kind of blue, cold, like even when there's like maybe a fire or something, it's, this just feels absolutely sodden. Yeah, yes. wet and muddy Cold. and freezing. Yeah, and it's meant to be spring. It's yeah. meant to be the great <laughs> springtime of the north. Winter is coming. Yeah. Um, but it's it's true. It's at that moment. Uh, that moment is for me the moment when they fall in love. And it's at that moment that the film also opens up. So the first few sequences up until that kind of very tender. There's there's a very intense sort of quite violent and rough lovemaking well, you, yeah, scene. You said about being masculine, like that, that is, it's like fighting. It's yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's, there's mud involved. It's very, um, it's very elemental, the way the, the film treats sex in particular, but also the relationship with animals and uh, nature in general is, is completely 
earthy. It's very grounded. And there's a lot of instinct and a lot of things that have to do with nature and following the, the path of nature. But it's at that point that the film... So they have this very rough kind of initial encounter. And then the next time is much more tender, much gentler. And after that, the morning after, they go out for a walk on the hills. And at that point, the film opens up. I mean, it's almost like that moment in um, Xavier Dolan's Mummy, when the kid is on the skateboard and he kind of pulls out the yes, frame of the true, film yeah. with, his, with his hands. And, and at this point, the film really starts to breathe this kind of, you know, liberating, beautiful moment and they walk on top of the hills and, and you see yeah. the landscape for the first time and it's glorious uh, manifestations really and, and there's a lot of weather in this film which is mm. fantastic there's a great mm. sound of wind and uh, for me that's a, that's a really extraordinary it's a really extraordinary way of conveying a sense of uh, falling in love and really opening yourself up to, to the experience of it which sort of reminds me of the idea of, of pathetic fallacy and how we sometimes experience nature as having almost human feelings. And at that point, there's really this great communion between the landscape and what the characters are experiencing, which is extraordinary. Well, yeah, Giorgio is very connected to the landscape, much more than we ever see Johnny. He seems much closer to, much more sentimental about the animals that they're looking after and but, seems uh, to pass that on to Johnny, perhaps. I think it's, it, and it's also down to the fact that when you when you live somewhere that is so commonly regarded as being beautiful, when you actually live in it, you don't think... You take it for granted, yeah. And I think Johnny has just been... He's living in this and he's lived it in the worst weather, doing the worst things on the coldest mornings. Yeah. And so actually looking out over the mountains and moors is not not something he would have any desire to do anymore because it's almost been... It's been ruined. Yeah. What he's had to do by hardship, yeah. But you're right. The the point, the moment you speak about when they fall in love, and it's it's him, it's Johnny running after Georgi, mm. isn't it? Yes. It's earlier on we've seen a, a sexual encounter where the other party is, he suggests going for a beer with Johnny, and Johnny says no, no, I'm not interested, and he runs away. And you, with that one moment, you kind of know that that's how Johnny deals with relationships and sexual encounters, and this is a time where he is the one running after someone. Mm. Where are you going? And he follows him. And you know that he's fallen for Georgi. And like you say, that's when it opens up. And that's when it, the film goes into unexpected territory, I think, because up until that point, it could go down a, a frequently trodden path of uh, repression and I don't know how mm. to deal with my feelings. But it just doesn't do that. Everyone seems quite comfortable with with how they are and it just turns into a romance it's not about an internal conflict it's not about realizing that you might you know it's not about it's nothing clandestine about the way they conduct themselves really yeah and i think really in that lies the the very unique nature of this film yeah. that you you experience the kind of discovery of tenderness for these two characters and the fact that they are so concentrated on each other and the film is really concentrated on the two of them has the effect of bringing us in to their relationship and so that's you know it really brings you closer you want to you're rooting for them you're rooting for this to to happen and it's there's a very deep emotional connection to these two characters which for me really started at this point uh, because what came before, I think I'd seen before, but what comes after, 
I've not quite seen with uh, yeah. you know it's there's there's as they return and then they kind of start to play home a little bit and they there's this very kind of um, loving and nourishing relationship when Giorgio is actually cooking for Johnny. Or when he makes him pasta. Makes him pasta. Seasons, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's really tender and very touching, and it's that kind of nurturing, gentle, uh, learning how to be with each other um, yeah. story, which you know it's a place where I think a lot of um, a lot of reviews will probably point out a comparison with Brokeback Mountain. Uh, with this film and obviously I, I think it's probably a reference for the filmmaker but it, it really takes all of our story much further the two characters in Brokeback Mountain are never really allowed to have this relationship yeah. and you kind of imagine what would have happened for them I mean and it's completely Brokeback Mountain has broken hearts all over the place but you sort of always wish you could see the happy ending for it for them and it's almost like you know, a few years on, we can do this, mm. finally. And so that, to me, that's, there's a really great unspoken battle there that has been won culturally. I completely agree. I, th- I, I imagine that there are stories like this being told, but for one to break out the way that this seems to be breaking out is a real step forward for that and representation of that kind of relationship, I think. Yeah, I think we're all really excited to be able to show this in cinemas and get it out to a bigger audience as well. Mm. Um, right, so that is uh, that is Francis Lee's God's Own Country, um, which is on a tour around the country at the moment, uh, but will be playing in Curzon Cinemas nationwide from the 1st of September. When we also have a Q&A with the filmmaker. Excellent. Uh, so do make sure you come to that. Um, as, as well as God's Own Country, there's uh, new releases on Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, one that I'd like to pick out is just Their Finest, the... A uh, film with Bill Nye and Gemma Arterton that came out earlier this year uh, about a scriptwriter working during the Second World War in England um, because, because she's a woman and all the men have been sent off to war. Uh, she has managed to get into the film industry and is kind of breaking in through this script about Dunkirk, of all things. Who can imagine a film about that? Um, but it's really good, and we spoke to Bill Nye and Gemma Arton about the film on this very podcast. So if you want to go back a few months and listen to that, and then check out the film, it's on Curzon Home Cinema now. Until next time, it's goodbye from Irena. Bye. It's goodbye from Ryan. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.